Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, April 5th, 2019. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, who joins me today from the magazine's offices in New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So, Andrew, last week on the program, we were speaking about the big five publishers and their 2018 results. This week, a different focus entirely, looking at the other end of the spectrum, indie publishers. And specifically, it's time for PW's annual list of fast-growing independent publishers. That's right. This week is our annual look at some of the fast-growing indie publishers, and it reflects a trend that we've been talking about for a number of years, and that's that we really are in this golden age of indie presses. You know, ahead of this year's London Book Fair, I did a Q&A with Richard Sharkin, who I'm sure many of our listeners know. He's a veteran publisher, spent much of his 47-year career at Bloomsbury, but now has started his own little indie publisher called Mensch Books. And I asked him about that, not only about why he wanted to go indie at this stage of his career, but about how, you know, what's enabling him and why are others doing it and why are so many others doing it so frequently? We're seeing more and more of these little presses pop up every year as we put together this list. And as you'd expect, as he often does, I think Richard kind of hit the nail on the head. First, he said the idea of having this utterly bespoke service for an author on terms that are sensible is just appealing. Also, technology has made it possible. Production is no longer so expensive, so that enables more money to go to marketing, uh, which can often be done on social media, of course. And then you have all these distributors who can much more efficiently handle smaller press runs, all of which means more indie publisher money can go into publishing rather than into overhead. Well, indeed, I enjoyed speaking with uh, Richard Charkin recently myself, so I know what you're uh, getting at there. He's a good quote and a, and a very charming fellow to chat with. So on this list of uh, independent leaders in publishing, give us some highlights. Sure. So, you know, I won't give you the whole list, of course, but the top of this list is uh, a Miami-based indie called Mango Publishing, started in 2014 by Chris McKenney. Now, if that name sounds familiar, uh, McKenney is a former COO of PGW and also the co-founder of MobiFusion, which, of course, is a digital startup that seeks to make content compatible across a bunch of mobile platforms. So clearly, Chris is a very savvy publisher, uh, and the results show that to be true. Mango sales are up 400% from 2016 to 2018, and they've gone from 11 employees to 23 in that same time period, and they've more than doubled the number of titles they're publishing, doing 99 in 2018. And of course, there's much more to come from Mango. So have you found out exactly how a company like Mango or any indie break-in actually pulls it off? Is there a secrets to success that you've uncovered? Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe not explicitly a secret to success, but I think a few things have emerged over the years. Um, one is that these new indie presses really seem to have a calling. You know, they get into the game because they want to fill a niche that's being underserved. Uh, and as we've talked uh, a lot about on this podcast previously, there are a lot of niches out there that the major houses just can't touch anymore. It's just a matter of scale. You know, we've talked about the big five being a hits driven business. 
And I think that's pretty much true these days. There's not a lot of room for niche titles or for giving authors uh, time to build audiences. Uh, a lot of that is now dropping down into to indies. So, you know, one of the key drivers for Mango, I'm happy to point out here, is what McKenney called his secret sauce, though just an expression, of course, because it's really not a secret, diversity. Mango seeks out new voices, different backgrounds, and exceptional talents, and it has an eclectic mix of staff that has really led to an eclectic list and subjects that include everything from cooking to crafts, uh, feminism, health, uh, LGBTQ issues, self-help, spirituality, uh, as well as fiction and poetry titles, plus children's and young adult books. Uh, which brings me to something else that Richard Sharkin told me about with his new indie venture. He gets to publish what he wants and likes, which I don't think we should underestimate here. I think any publisher, large or small, would tell you that's ultimately what they want to do in this game. But I think when it comes to indies, at least indies on our list, you really see the passion that they have for what they're doing. Uh, and it's much more prevalent because as a small publisher, you literally have to put everything into your books, right? There's no no big backlist to fall back on, no blockbusters leading the top of the list. You know, you really have to love what you're doing every single day, uh, which isn't to say that the backlist isn't a driver for some of these presses, because it clearly is. And we've seen that as we've watched these publishers grow over the years. Well, so tell us about some of the others who made the list. Who else is out there doing what they love? Sure. So there's, you know, Brown Books Publishing Group in Dallas, Texas. Uh, their growth was 220% from 2016 to 2018, and their titles have gone up uh, to about 48 a year. Page Street Publishing is another one towards the top of the list there. They've grown 73%, uh, and they've gone from 50 to 89 titles publishing every year. Also on the list, Barefoot Books from Cambridge, Mass., 45% growth. And you know, we should point out here, too, that these don't necessarily have to be new publishers, right? Some of these publishers are indie. They've been around for a long time. I'll point out just a couple of examples on the list here. Page Street Publishing has seen steady and rapid growth between 2016 and 2018. Its titles have jumped considerably in that time period. And it's a good example of the power of the backlist. Page has been around for a little while now. They've got about 300 titles on the backlist. And in 2018, its backlist sales now account for almost 50% of its revenues. Uh, that's a pretty good number and a pretty good indicator of where they're going in the future. Uh, and in the last week of 2018, Page Street's gross sales crossed a milestone, $10 million. So indie, but not so small anymore. Another one of the veteran indies is Charles Bridge Publishing uh, in Watertown, Mass. It's celebrating its 30 year of publishing primarily nonfiction children's and young adult titles. And last year, Charles Bridge experienced the best frontless sales in the history of the company. Uh, and founded in 1994, another press on the list, No Starch Press, celebrating its 25th anniversary, publishing technical books, which they infuse with popular culture, or as they like to call it, the finest in geek entertainment. Having released 28 titles in 2018, No Starch reports that sales are up 8% from 2016 to 2018. And the company reports that there's even more cause for celebration. There's been a 50% increase in 2019 frontless sales so far over 2018. When CCC's Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese checks out National Library Week. I'm Christopher Kinneley. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly and host of the new PW podcast, Publishers Weekly Insider. Each week, we'll talk to PW editors, authors, and other industry guests about the biggest and most exciting stories and books in the world of publishing. New episodes of PW Insider premiere every Friday. 
So listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwinsider or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, April 5th, 2019, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me today as he does each week with news and analysis from the world of publishing and reading. And indeed, we have done our bit for publishers in the first half of our program this week, Andrew, and now it's time to turn to another important part of the publishing ecosystem, one that is particularly important to you, and that's libraries, of course. Next week is National Library Week. Tell us about that. That's right. And you'll all probably see a, a bunch of editorials and other testimonials about libraries online or in your local papers as the National Library Week promotions start to hit. Uh, it's always a good time to recognize the importance of libraries and the work that they do. And this year, our listeners may recall, Melinda Gates will serve as the honorary chair of National Library Week. Gates, of course, gave a great talk uh, to librarians in January at the ALA Midwinter Meeting that was in Seattle, uh, her hometown. And she also has a very powerful memoir coming out later this month. It's called The Moment of Lift, How Empowering Women Changes the World. You know, I'm not sure that it's going to hit the heights that Michelle Obama hit with Becoming, but it really is a tremendous memoir coming from someone who not only has been a big library supporter over the years, but through the Gates Foundation, has done a lot of good in the world. And so you mentioned editorials and promotional pieces. We'll look for those. But what else is on tap for National Library Week? Anything else we should be on the watch for? Well, I think the big thing to be looking for is on Monday, April 8th, when the annual State of America's Libraries Report will be released. And that includes the list of the top 10 most frequently challenged books of 2018. Uh, one note I will say about this is that it's a very teasing headline on the ALA website, but the top 10 most challenged books for 2018 this year, or the, the release that's coming out this year, is going to have 11. It's actually a top 11. There's a Spinal Tap joke in there, I'm sure, somewhere. Maybe they just needed that extra push over the cliff, shall we say. But the top 10 of challenge books this year is actually going to be a list of 11. So look for that on Monday. We could probably guess what's going to be on that list, too. We're going to see Sherman Alexie and Dave Pilkey, Jay Asher, The Hate You Give. These books are consistently on the list year over year. Uh, but we've also seen a trend. I'll be interested to watch this trend this year. There's been a spike in the number of challenges to books on LG. LGBTQ issues. Uh, but beyond the specific titles and subjects, I think the release of the Bam Books list is a, really an excellent way to highlight the importance of free speech. And, you know, let's be clear, uh, it helps us explore what free speech looks like. So next week, we look forward to featuring that list and spotlighting the issue of free speech. When you and I were in London last month, Andrew, for the London Book Fair, you broke the news that the Trump administration would once again seek to eliminate federal library funding. Do you have an update on where that issue stands? Yeah, so minor update on that. As you say, this is the third year in a row that the Trump administration has proposed zeroing out library funding, uh, even though that would be less than $240 million of a proposed $4.7 trillion budget. Uh, anyway, last week, the library community closed what's known as a Dear Appropriator letter for the House. Uh, they got strong support there. More than a third of the House signed on to the letter, which is quite good. Uh, and now a Dear Appropriator letter is circulating in the Senate uh, to support library funding. 
ending and the deadline has been extended to April 11th. So librarians have something, you know, something else to do during library, National Library Week next week. And that's to get in touch with their senators about supporting library funding. Now, Dear Appropriator letters are a pretty common and powerful tool. They sort of show where the support is during the budget making process. And thankfully, what we've seen is that Congress sees the value of libraries where the Trump administration does not, which is not to say that getting Congress to see that value doesn't require a year round effort because it does. So I'll just close by saying that you can help libraries and join the effort to protect their funding by getting in touch with your local senator. Uh, and as part of National Library Week on Thursday, April 11th, we are going to be having Take Action for Libraries Day. It's a day dedicated to speaking up for libraries and sharing your library story. So you can join the fun on social media using the hashtag MyLibraryMyStory and have a great National Library Week. Well, you do the same. And you know, when I get a chance, I'm going to tweet this uh, quote from Ann Herbert, one of my favorites. She observed, libraries will get you through times of no money better than money will get you through times of no libraries. Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly, thanks for joining me today and every Friday on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on CCC's podcast series, what if the next big thing turned out to be the next everything? It would need to be a technology so powerful yet so pliable that it could find a place in every industry, any activity, and all manner of creativity. Blockchain is the next everything, asserts Stephen P. Williams. His latest book offers an explanation in layman's terms of how the technology works and even suggests reasons why so many people struggle to understand it. Most of the books and articles and things written about it um, have tended to obfuscate it with discussions of deep technology that very few people understand outside of the developers' circles. So the point I tried to make with this book was to, um, when I taught myself, I had a lot of trouble understanding it, and I decided that uh, we needed a book that was just uh, very easy and engaging with a lot of anecdotes and storytelling. The Next Everything, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center. Our co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The complete Beyond the Book podcast archive is available at beyondthebook.com. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening and join us again soon on CCC's Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.